to your Bible, custom designed to your Bible reading plan, a weekly podcast by myself, Chris Case, pastor of Resonate Church, and I'm here as always with Sarah Pasquale, our executive director. Hey, everybody. And so, uh, week 14, hopefully you've uh, enjoyed the weekend, the reading. We got out of the prophets a little bit uh, to go back into some histories, whether you like that or not. Um, maybe it's a nice little respite before we jump right back in next week. Uh, but uh, we finished with just one day of uh, reading uh, Isaiah a little bit. And he kind of closes uh, this opening 12 chapters with a song, uh, which is great. It's it's a good song, too. Lots of thanks, recognizing God as salvation and strength. Like, he has so much salvation. It's like you can keep pulling water from the well and it'll never run out. And yeah. God has done glorious things and the world will know about it. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty pretty marvelous little song he, that Isaiah pens here. Yeah, he's been talking about the coming judgment, and then this song is kind of singing past that judgment when all is made right. And in celebration, we can honor and um, celebrate the salvation of God. So uh, it's a good reminder again for us that our celebrating of our salvation is going to overflow and sharing it with others and wanting others to know about it. And so uh, jumping back to Second Kings 16, uh, we get into the life of Ahaz, who uh, just in both Kings and Chronicles, he's just awful. Um, sacrifices his son. He's mm-hmm. worshiping just about everything he's, he seems to be able to find uh, around him. And um, Ahaz ends up forming an alliance with the Assyrians. Uh, and um, the Assyrians attack Damascus, kick out the Israelites there, kill the northern king. And um, Ahaz basically finds some some pagan stuff in the north that he seems to really like uh, and decides to make some modifications and bring some stuff down to uh, to Judah with him uh, so he can keep worshiping all the pagan ways that he wants to worship. Yeah, so we start to see yeah him like intentionally building or adding to the Yahweh's temple with worship of another god, which to me it feels like you if if you remember when we talked about Jeroboam the first, the beginning of Israel building these false temples um, or wrong temples in Bethel and I can't remember some other place. Dan. Bethel and Dan. Bethel and Dan. Um, the author, I think, kind of is meaning to see, like, see, Judah has gotten to this place that Israel was at. Like, they are no better than Israel or those northern yeah, ten tribes. At least, at least, especially with Ahaz, at least. Yeah. And so, um, but Hosea or Hosea is up in the north in Israel and um, he's king. He's not the worst, but he's certainly not that great. He's a, basically a vassal for the Assyrian king at this point. And Israel and Egypt start like working together a little bit and Israel doesn't pay tribute to the Assyrians. So they end up locking Hosea up, the Assyrians do. And so um, that's about the full extent of the reign of Hosea. Yeah. And he's the last king of the northern kingdom. So you read this and think that you're not going to read about another northern kingdom king again. This That's is right. it. It's the end. The end. So the fall of Israel. Oof. And so Assyria attacks, takes Samaria, and sends a bunch of the people out into exile as far away as Iraq or Iran. It's pretty far away. Yeah. So it's, I mean, this this has been, we have been building up to this for so long, and it happens in one verse. Israel falls, and they're exiled to the east. They're out. They moved in. They conquested Canaan, and then they are moved out. But Isaiah lets us in with some commentary of exactly why the fall of Israel mm-hmm. happened. Uh, the people abandoned Israel. Uh, people abandoned Yahweh, worshiping other gods. Failed to listen to the prophets. They made the calves. They worshipped Baal, and stars, and planets. Sacrificed children. Practiced divination. It was all there. And and there's even a reminder in the text, like Judah, you weren't that awesome either. But these are the reasons that Israel fell. 
Yeah. I think this key verse, verse seven, that says this all happened because Israel sinned against the Lord. They feared other gods, acted like other nations. We see exactly why this is happening, but this didn't just start happening a minute ago. I mean, we have spent the last year and three-ish months reading about, (laughs) the majority of the time has been spent in reading about Israel sinning against the Lord, fearing other gods and acting like other nations. Yeah. God has certainly been slow to anger in how he's responded to the North. Yeah. And has sent prophet after prophet, calling the North to repentance, calling their kings to repentance without much change. Yeah. And so, um, but Assyria, uh, as people tend to do in their conquering practices, um, sort of sends a bunch of basically denizens to uh, go repopulate and fill the land of Israel with their own people. Uh, but when you're worshiping on Yahweh's land, on Yahweh's chosen land, and you're not worshiping the way Yahweh desires, God responds with lines of all things. And so, um, yeah, it's it's maybe the superstitions of the time because the Assyrians are like, well, we, we don't want that. Let's get a priest of Yahweh to come. Maybe he can tell us how to make Yahweh happy so we don't get eaten by lions anymore. Um, but the Assyrians never forsake their gods and, um, and eventually Assyria will enact it or find its own punishment. Uh, but we'll get there in the history. Yeah. I think I, I appreciate that. We also read that song in Isaiah at the beginning of this week's reading around the Kings and the fall of Israel, because we can be reminded even as we read these really hard and sad things, um, that this isn't the end of the story and we know what's coming. Um, but God's judgment isn't the final word. Yep. And then jump to Second Chronicles. We're jumping back in time even more. Uh, we get to Jotham, who existed between Uzziah, uh, who we got. He was the leprous one, kind of died and when Isaiah started. Uh, so between him and Ahaz, who we just read about, we hear about Jotham. And we find out he's not too bad. He doesn't go into the temple like his dad did and do anything too crazy. He even actually built gates around the temple. So maybe he's really learned his lesson of his dad. <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah. But yeah, that's about all we get from him. It says that he ordered his ways before the Lord, his God, which um, feels like a lot compared to some of the other kings we've read. But we need to remember that his success was really due to God's faithfulness. And so, you know, you could, if we just looked at this passage, we could accidentally end up speaking some prosperity gospel here. But we do really have to believe that a well-ordered way for our lives means obedience to God. It is interesting to me a little bit that some of these histories even reflected in the judges as well. Like sometimes when the good Kings or the good rulers come around, there just aren't a lot of details. Right. It's like, they just kind of go and then things were peaceful for 40 years, but then this really bad King showed up and we're going to tell his story. Yeah, <laughs> that's so, true. Uh, it's pretty interesting, but Ahaz reigns in Judah. Ahaz, as we just talked about, it's polytheistic. He's worshiping all sorts of different things uh, all over the place. Under every green tree, yeah. worshiping all the gods. Yeah. And sacrificing kids, which probably had a tie into Molech who might be a derivative of Baal. It's a long story on that one, but um, yeah. So Ahaz is just awful. And so Judah is defeated. Ahaz loses battles in very glorious ways, but loses tons of people in the mm-hmm. process um and and they lose but um these women and children are all taken captive to like the north like so a has attacks the north all the women and children are taken captive but god sends this prophet in oded to, to come and basically remind them like look israel you didn't win because you're so amazing it's just judah needed to be punished for a has the sins and um and at that point israel's like okay fine we'll we'll send back the women and the children so um but the Edomites, the Philistines start attacking as well. And Ahaz decides to to work with the Assyrian king, which turns out to be a big no-no. Uh, the Assyrians are pretty ruthless and 
they don't they don't take uh, they don't take no prisoners. So they do a good job uh, wiping out the north and doing some work on the south too. Yeah, but we we do see Judah remain steadfast at least at this point because of God's faithfulness to David in the Davidic covenant. And Ahaz keeps going doing the things Ahaz does, and um, he starts worshiping some of the gods even of these countries that beat uh, beat the south. And so um, yeah, this is not. It's not turning out well for Ahaz. Yeah, it says that Ahaz's idolatry was the ruin of him and all of Israel. And I just, isn't that the truth for all of us? There isn't an idol um, that won't destroy us as we become more and more devoted to it. Yep. All right, let's jump to the New Testament. I like that we ended the Old Testament right there. Um, We haven't gotten to the hope yet. Uh, And... (laughs) New Testament reading, we get in Mark. Uh, Jesus is in Bethany, this little town kind of just outside of Jerusalem, um, which had some history of folks like um, lepers and stuff like that. So uh, not surprising. It's at the house of a leper. Um, And this unnamed woman, expensive oil, starts anointing Jesus. The disciples are objecting for some things that probably you sit there and go, that's that's a reasonable objection. Like, it's really expensive. We could have served the poor with that, which is Okay, it's not it's not wrong, but Jesus commends her. Um, even says the story will be told, and and this practice with the anointing of oil and stuff like that, it's both both has a connection to anointing of kings uh, and and people of of God's chosen authority, uh, but also around burial. And so, um, yeah, it's it's great to wonder whether this is she was thinking in in these categories as she's doing this to Jesus or not. Um, But Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 15 and and the full passage there, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, show up and wide your hand to your brother and the needy and to the poor in your land. And so um, I think Jesus is like, make no mistake, like there will always be poor to care for. You guys are not wrong that we need to care for the poor. But like there's, there's sort of the both and like, but he is also God- coming to die in his presence. Like this is, this is why the the greatest commandment is both love God and love others. And so Jesus like, look, your opportunity to love others is still going to be there, but this is also an opportunity for you to love me. And, um, and, and honor me as, as, as he truly is. And so, yeah. Yeah. I think it's a really beautiful story of what it looks like to love Jesus lavishly and following Christ will oftentimes look foolish to the world around us. And sometimes our faithfulness to him is doing a work even we don't understand at the time. Mm -hmm. But it's that lavish love and faithfulness that matters. And I don't think it's... um I don't think it's haphazard that this story is put right next to the very next story. Yes. Either. So um, we get the expensive nard used for devotion by this unnamed woman. And then we get Jesus, Jesus, who is selling out Jesus for much less. And um, there's a Zechariah tie in for the 30 pieces of silver, but I think we'll get there when he, Judas throws it over the walls. But um, it's, it's sometimes a little bit tricky to know exactly Judas's motivation. Is he just in it for the money? Is he, um, is he given up on Jesus being the, the military Messiah and now just, is, is willing to take his money and go back up north. We don't totally know, but Jesus, Judas certainly betrays Jesus. Yeah, I think this is a sobering story here. I mean, Judas, there's hardly anyone closer to Jesus than Judas. I yeah. mean, he's been with him. He has seen everything, and he still didn't get it. Or maybe he got it, but so badly wanted to be Lord of his own life that he wasn't willing to allow Jesus to step in and be Lord. Yep. So, But it's Passover week, so Jesus does what every other Jewish collection of people are doing that week and that's getting ready for the Passover. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And little do these disciples know uh, exactly how Jesus is going to kind of reshift their whole framework of how to understand this meal. And so, um, but Jesus points out, Hey, one of you is going to betray me, which um, 
is as we've just saw as already happened. Yeah. And so we know from Exodus, the Passover is the beginning of that judgment uh, that God was bringing upon Egypt. And so we see just as Egypt's deliverance began with judgment, this story of deliverance also does. Yeah. And this meal that all these men have practiced year after year after year, they've probably memorized every piece of it. And there's rituals tied into it. They remember God's deliverance from slavery to freedom. They remember God's provision. This is when they became the nation of God's people. Mm-hmm. All this stuff is tied into the ceremony. And, and so for Jesus to come and say, and take these, take the cup, take the bread and, and say, this is about me. This is about me. I mean, Jesus is saying like, I'm making a new Passover, like with my blood and with my body, like what happened back then? It was just pointing to now. This is a new covenant that I am making um, and I'm redefining all these elements. Yeah. So for those of us who take communion regularly, we are celebrating our own form of the Passover feast. We celebrate Christ as the bloodshed and spread over our doors of our homes in order that we can walk out of being enslaved and from to sin into the liberty of worship. And then uh, we kind of get another Zechariah reference with Peter's denial, the, the sort of striking the shepherd and the sheep scattered, which we will see. Um, the disciples certainly scatter after Jesus is crucified. But um, Jesus knows Peter will falter. He speaks the truth to Peter. And, and although Mark's not going to cover it, we will, by the end of our reading, when we get to the Gospel of John, get some redemption from Peter. But um, in, in a fairly honor-shame world, what, what Peter's doing and sort of the denial of his main teacher, his, I mean, he is the disciple of this man. Like, this is a shameful kind of thing for Peter to, to straight up deny him. Yeah. Well, and here... Jesus is, or Peter's denying that he will deny Jesus. He's saying, I'm, I'm not right, going right, to, I'm right. not going to deny you. I promise. And I just think that's the truth of all of us. We all think that like, um, we can stand firm, but really in and of ourselves, can we really remain faithful? No, yeah. Over, overconfidence in self is, um, not a good thing. I know, like pride comes you for the fall. That's right. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. We've talked about that quite a few times now. Yeah. Um, and so Jesus, um, decides to go pray in this garden and, I think it's interesting. It just so happens that we're preaching through Exodus as we record this. But um, right after um, the institution of the Passover uh, in Exodus, there becomes like this night watch where they are to watch for what God's going to do that night. Um, and it seems interesting that, that that Jesus pulls his disciples behind and says, like, can you stay and watch? And uh, I think there's a tie in this Passover is about to happen. We just celebrated the meal. Now, can, can you just stay up and watch to see what God's going to do? Yeah. And, you know, last week we read in Mark that Jesus instructed them three times, like, keep awake, stay awake, stay awake. And here he gives them a chance to stay awake and they fall asleep. Um, But but we also see this picture of Jesus as man and how Hebrews talks about how Jesus understands our weakness and he's experienced them as well. And Mm -hmm. I think this story here is a really good picture of that. Jesus was confronted with the most terrifying thing possible, but he remained faithful so that he could cover over our faithfulness, faithlessness. And we see this play out in the disciples faithlessness and prayer and even in our own lives. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. You did. Uh, Some theologians will talk about it as, um, I mean, there's a song, how deep the father's love with us for us. And there's the idea of the father turning his face away that, um, the, the Gethsemane experience is the beginning of that process where he is abandoned by his closest friends. He is anguishy. He is bleeding out of his pores, all that kind of stuff that, that this, this suffering and anguish that, that Jesus is experiencing is all part of the process 
leading up to his death. And, and D.A. Carson says Jesus went to his death knowing it was his father's will that he would face death completely alone as the sacrificial wrath averting Passover land. As his death was unique, so also the anguish. He had that unique anguish and our best response is hushed worship. Yeah, so I feel like as we're reading Mark right now, we're kind of following three different storylines. We're watching the storyline of, of the people who are planning and trying to kill Jesus. We're watching the storyline of God's sovereign hand over Jesus' death. And then we're watching the storyline of the disciples um, kind of reaching the pinnacle of their failures at this point. And then we'll see it all kind of come together again after the resurrection. Yeah. And then um, the, the leadership shows up ready, it seems like, for some kind of insurrection fight or battle with all their little military might and with swords and everything drawn. But Jesus is like a lamb taking a slaughter, uh, just as mm-hmm. kind of Old Testament kind of pointed to, um, that he's not coming for that sort of fight, that he is the suffering servant that needs to die. Yeah. I mean, he's already alone. And so uh, we get this little added mini story that only exists in the book of Mark, which has many to think that maybe it is John Mark or um, Mark, the author, John Mark, um, who um, likely is the character in the story. It's a great theory. There's no way to confirm that. But um, but at the same time, this is also a story that the other gospel writers, should they have used Mark, decides not to tell. So, But there's interesting stuff with nakedness and clothing. We're actually going to see the whole um the whole um, crucifixion story be framed with uh, this naked guy. And then there will be a clothed individual at the end of this. And so um, it's, 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 there's more to unpack. That's not as explicit, but I think it might be there. Yeah. And then Jesus appears before this council. Um, This is happening in the middle of the night. The scene should be suspicious. Uh, Guilty verdicts required 24 hours. Trials were illegal actually during Passover week. It's very cloak and dagger and they're finding false mm-hmm. witnesses, which is totally a violation of Torah altogether. Um, and, and so they are trying their best in a shady underground way to get some sort of um, uh, confession or um, clear guilt out of Jesus. And and ultimately they're, they're, they're driving at the central issue. Was Jesus the Messiah or was he not? But um, in their mind, they, they can't understand who this guy is and are ready just for him to die and get away. But I mean, he just spent a couple of days telling, telling everybody why the leadership in, in Jerusalem is so terrible. And so um, they're ready to get rid of him. Yeah. And, you know, we see this is a sort of fulfillment or continuing of the story of the parable of the tenants that we studied a couple of weeks ago. Jesus is that son that went and was rejected by those who were overseeing the land. Yeah. And these leaders knew the truth, but they didn't want to lose their power. It's, he's going to be the stone that they reject. Mm-hmm. And so Peter uh, does what Jesus said he was going to do. And, and I love the contrasting of these stories, too. I mean, you have Jesus standing up to what is the most powerful people in town other than Pilate and Herod. Um, and he's standing there um, being accused and he's not denying it. He's 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 um, yeah, being being standing in the face of all the accusations and trials. Yeah, Peter is outside. And when this lowly servant girl who would be so low on the social status starts asking him about it. Suddenly he's trying to avoid death and is fearful and all this kind of stuff. And so, um, it's such a, it's such a fascinating contrast of sort of the, 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 the faithlessness of the disciples and Jesus faithfulness in the face of accusations and questions. Yeah. I think there's something really sweet about how the story ends with Peter's response. And this is part of the main difference between Peter and Judas, I think, and that Peter was grieved immediately by 
by his sin uh, and his denial of Jesus. So the spirit was willing, but Peter's flesh was weak, and he denied Jesus. But as soon as it happened, he knew what he would done. He had done, and his heart broke over it. The mercy of God is so great to us, and so take heart that our denial and faithlessness is covered as well when we are repentant. Absolutely. And so Jesus is handed over uh, to Pilate in the morning, and. Um, really Rome are the only people that could do a specific kind of corporal punishment. Um, and it is like the most shameful punishment, um, that I think history has had in terms of how Rome enacted this. I mean, they would, they would hang people on the road, um, on the crosses. It would be, they would likely be naked. It was, uh, and they were lower than most people see it in movies. So they'd be close to eye level with you. Um, it was awful. And, um, and so the conversation went from accusing him around, messiahship and they're tearing down the temple, all those conversations to, are you the king or not? And so that that's where Pilate's going to care. Pilate doesn't care about theological questions. He cares about whether there's um, somebody else claiming to be king who's not Caesar. And so, um, and I think Pilate's amazed because he's probably seen plenty of people show up in front of him in the court or wherever this is taking place. And people are pleading for the life. They're probably groveling and crying and all this other stuff. And Jesus is just standing there kind of stoic saying, okay, like that's what you say I am like that. That's it. And so, um, Pilate seems to be amazed at sort of the response of Jesus here. Yeah. And I think we start to see, or we have seen, but this is a really clear picture of the fact that Jesus is really exercising some sovereign authority and control in the midst of these circumstances. Even though it looks like he's not making any choices, Jesus is in full authority and power in this circumstance. Yep. So Psalm 87. Um, so I just think after what we read today, even in Mark and in Isaiah and Kings and Chronicles, it just makes me look forward to, to everything being made right. There's something really moving about writing a sort of love song to your city. And our, our city, our home is heaven. Yeah. Yeah. Jerusalem has certainly played up as like this central picture of worship for the world. And then this random section out of Psalm 109. <laughs> no. So I think we read this this theme of the needy. You know, the wicked pursues the poor and needy to put them to death. And then David, after he says that, cries out, but I am poor and needy. And then God stands at the right hand of the needy one. Yeah. So we see this picture of the upside down kingdom where God is for the needy and the poor. Yeah, there's definitely that repeated. I think it's so important to, to catch on to. So as we look at the Old Testament, New Testament, what should we be looking out for? Yeah, well, we're going to learn a little bit about Hezekiah. He plays a really big role and he's pretty hopeful. So enjoy reading about Hezekiah next week. And then I would say in the New Testament, as we wrap up, Mark, pay attention to the role of women. There are a lot of different um, places and roles and positions that women have in this next section we're going to read. And it makes a lot of huge statements about um, how God views and values women. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, going back to Hezekiah, you will be a lot better than Ahaz, that's for certain. Um, and so as we get to the Old Testament, um, we look at the book of Jonah. Um, we should learn to kind of read the metaphor into the book. As much as Hosea was sort of this drama that we were supposed to understand, uh, Hosea and Gomer as God and his people and stuff like that, there, there's a lot of Jonah that we should see as a metaphor for how Israel is, how they think about their mission to outsiders. And so as you read through that book, kind of think through, all right, what metaphor should Israel be learning at this time as they are held captive by this terrible Assyrian collection of people who have their capital up in Damascus? Like, what should um, the, the, the feeling, or in Nineveh, what should um, we be learning? What should the Israelites learn and what should we learn in the process too? Mm -hmm. And then in the New Testament, Mark, more than any of the gospel writers, 
probably because Mark is writing in a place like Rome, um, has a lot of Caesar coronation elements into his crucifixion story. He actually includes different details than the gospel other gospel writers do and um, maybe catch up on what seems kind of Roman in the story um, or maybe where he's a little bit different. Why does he use a different kind of wine than maybe the other gospel writers do? Stuff like that. I think it actually matters um, in, in what Mark is presenting. And then if he is presenting this sort of coronation, taking the, taking the seat of the throne, what's Mark communicating by using those elements? I think it's important. So uh, that's it for us this time. Thanks, y'all. Thank you. Thank you.